We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome in to Beers on Us with Mike Lynch and Patrick Harris. Thanks so much for listening. Wherever and whenever you're listening, it's probably beer o'clock, and we've got a lot of good stuff coming up for you right here on the podcast starting right now. Welcome back into Beers on Us with Mike Lynch and Patrick Harris. Thank you guys so much for listening. We were very excited about this week's episode. Yes, sir. We've been teasing this week's episode. We've actually wanted to go to this brewery for a year or so now, but, you know, COVID. So uh, we brought in a guest today, Kevin Davies, headmaster brewer. There you go. At Wayfinder <laughs> Brewing. And uh, he's going to sit down and we're going to talk fest beers today. Yeah, which is one of, Patrick's one of, literal favorite style of no, beer. No, not my literal favorite. But You've one been talking of, like it's your one favorite. One of my absolute favorites. I think it's something, I don't want to get too into it, oh, but no, I think well, it's something, something about the malt build, something about the historical aspect and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm excited balanced. to talk about it. Well, uh, actually, this beer that we brought um, is my literal favorite beer that we, we make. So Perfect. Perfect. Right uh, you can find us all over the place. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Radio.com app, 1080thefan.com, Omni, Stitcher. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, or download if you have not done so because it helps us out. And then uh, you can find us on social media. I uh, We are on Instagram at Beers on Us. I am at Mike Lynch 27 on Twitter. Patrick is at PDD085 on Instagram. Uh, Kevin, you can join us in our weekend beer discussion, but uh, basically what you've had this week that you uh, that you like. For me, it wasn't crazy. Um, I went to the coast on Saturday, did a little fire at Cannon Beach, which was nice. And uh, because of that, I went to Safeway and got beer, which is, you know, always a bit scary. Uh, I have been tricked by many an old can without checking. <laughs> uh, so I made sure to check the dates this time, and I got a fresh Starburst from Ecliptic. Okay. Fresh within the last three weeks. And uh, I got Blackview Porter and both... On the beach, delightful. Probably delicious. It yeah. was. You know, there's something about <clears throat> something about like star starburst type beers <clears throat> in the sense that they make so much of it, but it's such a like plaid pantry cornerstone beer that it's actually I find it easier to find fresh than most stuff. Well, I got there and I want to say it was Miletus was putting stuff on the shelves mm-hmm. and they were putting the starburst on the shelf and I was like I know what there I'm getting. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully a good chance. Yeah, uh, I got nothing crazy. Uh, you saw on Instagram, I finished up my last shift at Ye Old Breakside. Um, had some beers afterwards. I've been kind of off the beer scene a little bit lately. Oh, I wonder why. I went to I went to happy hour the other day with uh, with my partner and. <clears throat> drank some cocktails. Nice. And it was like, oh, right. I do love drinking cocktails. Um, and I had some beers here and there. I'm trying to remember what I had. Yeah. Well, you went to Von Ebert. You posted. Oh, yes. I went pick. to Von Ebert and had some beers over there. I bought a four pack of the Ewok Dreams. Um, I believe because that's. Because, of course, you did. Yeah, I believe that's Maddie's design over there. And I was excited to taste batch number two, and I thought it was pretty solid but you only bought it because it was ewok and star wars <laughs> well it was so funny because i was wearing a mandalorian shirt <laughs> and i didn't even realize that i was and i walked in the bartender was like what are you having and i was like uh i'll do the i think i think i started with the ewok dreams i was like i'll have an ewok dreams and she was like yeah you will <laughs> i was like okay finger guns back at you <laughs> bam, 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 bam. yeah i was like okay cool and then she handed it to me and i walked back to my table looked down and went oh she was making a joke, and you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kevin? How was your week in beer? Uh, it was awesome. You know, we actually we did a little wine tasting with my mom this weekend. Ooh, so nice. we did a little of that, and I'm not going to touch too much on it. But I did have, we had an event at Beer Monkers, and I had Barrelix, uh, a cold one, or the cold yeah. one IPA, uh-huh. and that was delicious. It makes, it made, the first time I had that beer made me think of you. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I'm, I really enjoy the relapse. Nice. As kind of like an outside, I never 
thought really thought of the idea of cold like cold fermenting a hop hop forward beer, and I really enjoyed what you guys did, and so I was excited to taste Barrelix as well. Yeah, like the whole concept for that is pretty much take a take either an ale yeast that can ferment cool, like a cold strain or Chico. Or a lager strain that can ferment warm, mm. kind of like a California Common. Okay. And try to keep the yeast profile way down and then no caramel malt. So pretty much trying to say, like, what is the most West Coast? What are the what can make it the cleanest, hop forwardest beer? Hmm. You know, dry, that kind of stuff. Cool. I don't know. I really enjoyed that one. Cool. I dig that style. I want to see more of it. What have you guys been making at the at the brewery right now? Oh, we just made a couple of double decocted beers. Um, we've got our funeral Bach hit the streets or is hitting the streets this week. Double decocted roast Bach. That's a you, Mike. That's a me. <laughs> uh, I love this beer. And um, I just finished brewing uh, Time Spiral. We're going to put that in cans, our Munich Dunkel, Ooh. which is like only 5.5%. Fall couldn't have come quicker. Yeah, I was going to say, are you speaking to my beer soul right now? <laughs> I am trying to. Like, if your soul is my soul, which sounds like we're soulmates. Aww. <laughs> um, that we did a, our... Uh, it used to be quadruple decocted. It might even say quad decocted on the label, but we found double tastes better with our B yob that we do in. Uh, it's a doppelbach, but we do it for Eugene Band yob. Oh yes, I've seen that before. I think I've had that before. It's I I really love big, strong, dark multi loggers. So that's kind of my jam for the noobs like me. Double decocted means what? Well. That means we decocted it twice, but <laughs> <laughs> decocting well, I is... I walked right into that one. <laughs> decocting is, um, it's an older form of brewing where you'd actually, before thermometers, um, to when you're mashing the grains to break break down the sugars, before we really had reliable thermometers, pretty much what you'd do is you'd mash the grains with, you know, river water or whatever well water you had, and then you'd take a portion out of it, boil it, and put it back in to raise the temperature. Hmm. And you'd do that all the way until... It was, you know, not, you know, all the sugars were, con- all the starches was, were converted to sugar. And that creates a certain amount of flavor profile because you're literally boiling the grain. And that uh, explodes the grain cell, liquefies beta-glucans and all sorts of um, cellulose membranes, uh, creates a certain amount of caramel, creates a drier beer for those really stronger beers, which really make them far more drinkable in my hmm. opinion. So I was not sold on it before we started Wayfinder, but it was something that we wanted to do as a company. And now I, I don't know how I could brew without it. Does it is it more like is it more intensive then because it's got all those extra steps in it? It's in, yeah, it's incredibly intensive. So it makes it kind of like the beer when it when it's done, you're like you're extra proud. You're like I did this. Yeah, I, <laughs> I spent a long day doing this. <laughs> yeah, what's a brew day like on a double decocted hours wise? When we did five hundred hours, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and our system is built to do it. Okay, so like it's a lot easier. We have pumps and pipes in place <clears> for it, so we can move things really quickly. It still is like a 12-hour brew day, Oof. at least, um, or longer. And you guys brew, you have a 25-barrel system? Oh, no, just a 10-barrel. Just a 10-barrel. I can never remember. But our tanks, we have 20 and 25-barrel tanks. Gotcha. So that's probably what you're thinking. All right, so we got Fest beers in front of us here. Uh, what, what's the first one we're having? Uh, I opened the Blocktoberfest Mertzen Lager from Block 15. We also have Ruben's Fest beer and the Freeheit? Is that Freiheit. how you say it? Freiheit, the premium Fest beer from Wayfinder. It's premium. So, okay, so the Block 15 doesn't say Fest beer on the label, but it is a Fest beer. Well, well, that's what I was going to. I, I so, think that's what we can kind of get into here if you want to start off. I was, like, I was leading into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got your Meritson, you've got your Fest beer, and you've got your Oktoberfest. I guess we can all count those as three different things. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that the old BJCP guidelines would actually lump Vienna, Meritzen, and Oktoberfest all as one style. Okay. Hmm. And uh, uh, from somebody who, speaking from lager background, uh, those are three different styles. Gotcha. <laughs> so then what, so then in your opinion, what are we talking about in the difference between an Oktoberfest and a fest? Well, it, it, let me go off. Can I go off for a little bit? Please. Um, Meritzen was kind of like the original one. So right. back before really great mechanical refrigeration, you would literally like have to like dig out a frozen lake of ice and take a team of horses and stick it in a cave. And then that would be where you'd store your beer during the summer months when it was too hot to, to brew because everything would spoil. Brew in March to sit till. Yeah. So March was kind of <clears throat> like that last, the last day that you could brew before 
really you need to start working in the fields and you can't brew any beer anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, so they would make this big beer called Merzen, which means March in German. And uh, they'd make it in March. It would be kind of like the maybe it would be the last of everything that they had. Uh, big, strong beer. Put it in barrels. Forget about it. Um, when they'd bring in the harvest, um, they would open up last year's Meritsons. Everyone would be drinking to celebrate the harvest, and then brewing would commence. So then um, I, I'm really bad with details, but there was a king. He had a wedding, um, or maybe it was a prince. I can't remember. They had a big celebration around that time. They called it Oktoberfest. Everyone's like, all right, now we're just calling this Oktoberfest. Like, and it's been celebrated in Bavaria ever since. Nowadays, um, Meritzen beer in Germany is made to come out in March mm. because people are kind of expecting, oh, it's March beer. Let's have it in March. And Fest beer, or what they call Wietzenbier, uh, which means like meadow beer. Okay. Um, you'll see that kind of written on the small part of our cancer sometimes. On a, it's kind of confusing because it looks like Wiesenbier, which means wheat. Right. But right. V, um, or beer. I'm sorry, Weizenbier. Weizen, yeah. I don't speak German. Um, <laughs> but which you pretend means like wheat. you do, and that's I, great. Yeah. Well, you know. Wiesen <laughs> so, and Weizen. Yeah. Wiesen means like meadow. Okay. And that's like, it's a reference to the meadow in which Oktoberfest is held. It's like a golden beer. Like uh, a lot of fest beers are typically golden. They're different than what is Mertzen, which is more of a caramely beer, uh, darker red, um, stronger, and um, usually really well aged. Mm -hmm. um, fest beer or Wiesen beer is to be consumed in large amounts. It's more like a Hellas, but a little bit stronger for celebrating the season. And I think as we're drinking this Blocktoberfest, I mean, I, I definitely taste a lot more richer caramelly malts. Yeah, so maybe it's maybe it's borderline both. I'm not sure. Like yeah. our, our Wietzen beer has no caramel malts in it. It's just, you know, a nice strong base malt. It's quite dry. You can drink it in the big tankards. That's the whole point. Meritzen beer, which is caramelier, a little bit sweeter. Um, it's really hard to drink five tankards of these, you know, um, mass Krugs of these things, you know what I mean? So, like, that's pretty much why the shift happened was, like, people are like, okay, well, we do want to drink an Oktoberfest for a whole flipping week. We can't just drink caramely sweet beer all day. <laughs> yeah, that is – I just finished the the Block 15 one. Yeah, it, just got, it has a lot of caramel in it, but it's also really dry at the yep. end. It had a good, like, dry bite at the end of it as well. Yeah, and then um, we're, we just cracked uh, this Rubens Fest beer, and you can even just tell by looking at it. Yeah, this more, is much more, more golden. Hellas yeah. color, yeah. pale ale, not ale, pale color, as uh, as the Hellas term is. What is it about this style, Kevin, that you love so much? It's it's like pretty much Hellas beer, which is just, Hellas just means light, right? Right. Um, it's that turned up, all my favorite things about it turned up a little higher, you know what I mean? And so our staff is always constantly saying, like, why don't you just make Fest beer year-round? It's so good. And I'm like, well, then it's not special when right. Fest comes around. Yeah. Like, we got to just make one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the Hellas is just the, the beer that you drink all the time. It's the light beer. So typically, uh, the Germans would separate uh, Lager Beer Hell as the beer that's local that just people drink. It's just a normal beer. It's 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 very affordable to make. It's also very affordably priced, typically. Um, and then these kind of beers are more like export beers. These beers are a little bit hoppier. Not not like hoppy aromas, but more um, a little bit more bitter bite. And a little bit more alcohol. So we're like, Hellas can be anywhere between 4.9, 5.2, or 5.3% alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, Fest beers are typically 5.5 five to almost 6%. Do you find yourself when you're making the seasonal beers tweaking constantly? Or do you find a sweet spot and you're like, yeah, this will come out blank month, but we know what we're doing? Tweaking constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Everything, everything that we're doing, all of our raw materials are changing year to year. So having to make sure that, um, I guess, tweaking constantly and gravity and, and that kind of stuff. But um, like even Vienna malt, which is something we heavily focus on for this uh, fest beer, it does taste different depending on when it's malted and, and yeah. who malted it. You know, like <clears throat> we've gotten batches that are just darker than other batches. So, yeah, we do have to tweak a bit. Do the... Do you notice the consumer noticing that, or is that more just because like you guys are focused so much on the details and your palates are so advanced that you notice the changes, but the consumer is like, yeah, it's the fest beer. Yeah, I hope that I hope nobody notices. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's I the whole point, that right? Yeah. Well, I didn't know. Keep, like, maybe, keep things updated, but don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe you want them much. to be able to see the tweak. Like, oh, look, they did something a little different this yeah, year. Yeah, right. Um, no, 
I feel like most of our our changes, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm tweaking it. It's like nobody should really be able to tell. Like it should be pretty pretty minute. And somebody who drinks it every day or maybe is really like a Wayfinder super fan, maybe they're like, oh, a little bit hoppier this time or something like that. Maybe they like it, maybe they don't. I don't know. It's really just like what we're trying to make something that's the ideal. You're always trying to shoot for the ideal and you never get there. This is something that is a little more like marketing PR side. But do you think someone making a high-quality Fest beer could sell it year-round? Or do you think it has that kind of seasonal gravitation? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think you should call it Fest beer if you're going to have it year-round. I'd call it something else like... Year-round beer. Yeah, Wayfinder (laughs) Gold or Wayfinder, you know what I mean? Like, I think Yingling does something like that. They have a gold version or MGD, you know, like... Look, oh yeah, the man with the Yingling reference... What? I like that. Yeah. Well, we're lager brewers. We well, all know no. everybody. Well, I'm from New Jersey, so <laughs> oh, nice. Yingling was like the nice beer when I grew up. I was <laughs> like, oh, I'm not drinking Blue Moon. I'll have Yingling. Yes, please. <laughs> and I am born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, and I've never had a Yingling. Oh, they're, Every they're... time I travel somewhere that has it, I forget to look because it's in the like Coors Light section at the grocery store. And so if I'm going to see like find local craft beer, I never see Yingling. So I've never had one. If you go to the if you go to like New Orleans or in like Florida, there is a Yingling plant, I think in Tampa or somewhere down there. And it's the freshest beer as far as like mass produced beer. So mm. and there's until recently there wasn't a lot of craft beer. So when I was in New Orleans, that was that a was lot it. of times I'd reach for a Yingling. Yeah. Uh for us, I grew up in Tualatin, Oregon, and I can say that as a working class guy, we drank a lot of PBR during the week, but when we got the paycheck, we'd go get half racks of Henry Weinhardt's Private Reserve. Yes, sir. That was our good stuff. Private Reserve, a little blue bore. <laughs> a little blue bore. A little blue bore if you're feeling fancier that week. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm the, the card-carrying Rainier guy, but then, yeah, a lot of Private Reserve has been drank in my day. I think the first Private Reserve I had, I was 21 minus two years, and... Uh, so 21. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and was like, whoa, this beer's fancy. This beer's real fancy. Yeah, we used to feel, Yeah, we used to feel that way about Rolling Rock too. Uh-huh. You know, oh, I'm sorry. 15 years yeah. ago. Well, Rolling Rock went through a huge change. It's it still now? bad, yeah. And, and it, and, <laughs> but but I, I would argue it was better back then hmm. than it is now. It's almost undrinkable now for I me. I don't believe you. Okay. <laughs> I think that a lot of that sometimes is like, you know, you're used to drinking Steel Reserve 40s <laughs> yes, sir. with your college friends. <laughs> and then all of a sudden somebody brings out a Rolling Rock and it tastes like yeah. heaven. Yeah, good old, like, good well, old, old English. <laughs> Edward Forty Hands. <laughs> uh, St. Ives, that was the one we drank a lot, actually. That was awful, but great. No. Yeah, see, you didn't get the Henry Weinharts. No, uh, no. You know, the West Coast, I feel in this area, we got lucky that we had Henry no, Weinharts. In college, we had Labatt Blue because we were near Canada. So yep. we got some good Labatts. And, uh, you know, otherwise we drank Keystone Light. I've had some Labatt. Well, that's not. They still sell terrible. a bat at uh, the cheerful for what bullpen. Well, of course they do because they're it's a, a Bills bar. bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I lived up in Bellingham, we and still do drink a lot of Kokanee. Oh because yeah. Because you're so close to the mm-hmm. Canadian border, that's probably the freshest cheap beer that you can get. I think it's kind of interesting that when we talk about Weinhards, I think that maybe because no, nobody really talks about it because there's so few people that have grown up down here that are actually you yeah. know like part of the beer scene. Yeah. But, you know, hanging out. Hanging out in the 90s in Portland, all of downtown smelled like somebody was making beer because there was no there was no um, stack fan. Or there, the whole wort smell, I remember going to Powell's Books and Ozone Records, yeah. and everything smelled like boiling wort. It was awesome. <laughs> um, it and, is one of the things I miss about working in Milwaukee, like working at the Breakside in Milwaukee. It's like you walked in every day and it was like, oh. Yeah, I'm in a brewery. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how Portland just felt mm-hmm. all the time. And then it, when that closed, it was kind of a bummer, you know, like it's, it, it's funny because Pabst is Pabst cans were so big for like this, like punk rock, rock and roll scene in Portland. And that's like a beer from Wisconsin. Like, why didn't we celebrate <laughs> the beer that they actually brewed here? I, I, I think it's probably Weinhardt should have done some more guerrilla marketing the way PBR did. But well, in all those they, old pictures of like Portland Beavers, you see Weinhards all over the billboards. Oh man, everyone's drinking Blitz Weinhards. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. John Harris is in the middle of Broadway, just fist in the air. Yeah, he's mad at <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> Damn you, Kevin, we're talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we got the Rubens Fest beer in front of us now. And um, very different. Very than different the than the Blocktober. Yeah. I, I'm noticing a lot less caramel in this. Um, and it smells really different too. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the, the sweetness is not in the nose at all. This is this to me is very much like a fest beer. Maybe the Blocktober is more Oktoberfesty. Yeah, 
A little Based more, on the name, I would probably agree. Yeah. A little more. <laughs> sometimes I like to say a little more fall-inspired. Yeah. Because it gives you that little kind of more richer character to where I tend to lean more towards this. Yeah. I just love, I love Festbiers and I love Vienna lagers for that malt. There is something of that toasty, biscuity malt character for me just resonates so well. And the sweetness that comes off of it when done right and balanced is something that talks to me. And it's a crazy thing. I get this from a lot of my friends all the time. They're like, you love bone dry hop forward west coast ipas why do you love fest beers and hellas's so much and i'm like i don't know <laughs> i do they're both rad <laughs> i mean come on like ipa I, I really love ipa like wayfinder is pretty much we make the beers that i like to make i mean that was what we were going to do going into it but it's not like i'm just like totally full of myself but i really like lager beers and i really like ipas and that's kind of i don't really like a lot of other things yeah you know so those are that's it, it's been great. It's what we've really wanted to do, or what I've wanted to do. Well, and I think it's something that has made your brewery so successful as it is. Is not just quality, but I think you can tell when people make beers that they love to make, because if inevitably yeah. you should get more quality out of it. And B, you can just I don't know. You like feel it, not to sound sappy or anything, but yeah, you can just kind of tell. Like when I walk into a Wayfinder, when I walk into Barrelick drink. Um, I know that these guys are making the beers that they like and not making beers because they have to. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I feel like we we wanted to make these beers and we knew that there were enough people out there that liked lager beer and IPA that we could probably make it work. And I've been afraid to make, you know, a fruit IPA or, you know, a slurry sour milkshake beer, a lot of that kind of stuff. Mainly because I don't I want to build the clientele that likes the beers that we're doing that we're passionate about, mm -hmm. um, and hopefully I don't have to all of a sudden switch gears and find find new customers. But right now it's just like you know we just made this black bock like a seven percent bock. One of not only that beer but our smoked bock we did a smoked bock last January. It sold out like in a week. We're I think we're already sold out of the funeral bock. Like it's already spoken for. Well, that's and we canned it yesterday. That's sad. So it's freaking red. Well, you'll find it. It'll be at New Seasons oh, or okay, wherever. Okay, but okay. like it sold out of our like we can't. Their inventory is. Yeah, scared me. I was like, hey, hey, I want to try this. <laughs> yeah, there was a line all the way from from Wayfinder all the way to Omsi just to get a just to buy the funeral box. Yeah, right. yeah, say that out loud, maybe people. Quick, quick, get it. We can. Let's take a pause. Uh, I want to drink the Wayfinder Fest beer mm -hmm. next. Maybe talk a little Wayfinder. I want to talk some Wayfinder. A little next. history of Kevin Davy over here. Yeah, and, and how COVID's been going and all the changes and stuff like that. And I want to also ask, because we're going to do this as a broader uh, topic later, the switch to fall with COVID, how is that going to work? So that's next. Kevin Davies, headmaster brewer at Wayfinder, is uh, on with us. And that's next. Beers and us, Mike Lynch, Patrick Harris. <laughs> Again, beers on us, Mike Lynch, Patrick Harris, Kevin Davey. I've been saying it wrong, and I'm mad at myself about it, and Patrick's trying to coach me through it, and I'm still mad. I'm sorry for adding the S to the end of your name. <laughs> That's uh, okay. Well, I'll forgive you. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Headmaster Brewer at Wayfinder. We're talking some Fespiers, and we're about to have Wayfinder's Fespier, and uh, we're going to talk some Wayfinder as well. Mm. I wanted to start with COVID because it's the only thing that's been mattering in the beer world recently. How have you guys done through COVID? What has been your plan and how well has it worked? And then what is your plan when the weather gets bad? Yeah. Okay. So that's a lot of questions, but yeah, um, well, it's the big elephant in the room. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? The, when it first happened, we pretty much switched straight to packaging. Yep. And um, I, I think that like when they announced it, I called craft canning and booked out as many dates as I possibly could. Like, just to try to make sure that our tanks could get empty. And then we were just in a process of trying to empty tanks via growlers, growlers, any way we can sell beer. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that we dumped a bit, but not too much. So I feel pretty comfortable with that. And then ever since, ever, uh, I think we opened the, we opened the restaurant in July, um, outdoor seating only spaced apart. We have, we actually have like a little waiting area out front of our patio. We're blessed in the fact that we have, so much outdoor space anyway you had that huge you deck. guys already yeah. had the best patio yeah. for a brewery in portland 
right? So that's yes. been, yeah, yeah not definitely. Even close. I'm going to say, yeah, we're the best on, on patio. Patio, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Especially a late, er, like early summer night. Mm. Oof. Mm-hmm. I used like to early, there like, the rain once. Like I liked early, it. <laughs> early June around that fire pit at Wayfinder. Yeah. With a big mug in my hand of hell. Yeah, and a smile <laughs> on your face. Ah, the old days. Those Before the dark times. Before the <laughs> empire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's been, t- it's been tough. It's been a tough year, but, yeah, we've been switched to a lot of packaging. I feel really lucky in that I've worked for packaging companies. Mm-hmm. Like, I've worked for three companies for the most part. Chuckanut Brewery in Bellingham, Firestone Walker in California, and Gordon Biersch. And Gordon Biersch really had me prepped for – it was a brew pub. We didn't sell any beer off-site. I really knew a lot about opening the pub by working there, but being able to think back on the chuckanut roots when we were just selling a lot of draft and, and stuff out the door, um, I just adjusted the whole brew house to to focus on that. And so we've been we've been canning every week and opened up a lot of supply chains. We have some uh, good market partners uh, for distributing down in uh, California, in San Francisco, and we've been self distributing in Seattle. And I've got a lot of friends and family and homies, people that run bars and restaurants up there. So that's been very helpful. Uh, We're unloading a lot of beer out there. And I feel like as long as tech doesn't completely collapse, those are still really high-paying jobs. They can afford, you know, a premium-priced lager beer. So we haven't had a problem selling any beer. Are you going to – we've asked a lot of breweries about this. Has the canning gone so well that once COVID is over – or we have a vaccine or whatever, however you want to say it, you'll still can that at the level that you're canning now? Or is it merely a means to an end until you get back to as normal as possible? I think we're going to be canning like this forever. We actually just put a down payment on an expansion. So we're adding more tanks right now. Cool. So we can sell more beer. Mainly because we don't know, like your your third question, which what does the restaurant look like? We don't really know. So we we need the capacity that we can sell more draft beer, or not draft beer, uh, packaged, whether it's can or whatever. Um, just so that we can make ends meet. Well, that's one thing that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think is is interesting out of this whole thing. Like, if you are, if you are a brewery that you know, a has some quality, but b also has a name and a demand. If COVID in the long run, as you said, you switched and basically became a packaging brewery, um, if that will benefit you in the long run, and I think for a lot of people it will. I mean, I know at, you know, I know from my time at Breakside and they've got a canning line now too. And that's just going to be pounding out Wanderlust for the next <laughs> 10 years that that is yeah. a good thing. And I wonder if you guys see that as well as a positive thing, right? It's uh, so, like a forced uh, growth. Right. It is. It's, it's been great for us because I feel like our, our package quality and um, our market marketing, our labels, our image, all of that really works really well in package. Whereas I think that some people that just weren't really ready to do that, like that was always going to be our focus. We mm-hmm. just, we were selling so much beer in the restaurant that we just weren't ready to pull the trigger. This let us pull the trigger and um, hands up, you know, pistols out, we're, we're doing packaged product. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're doing it pretty well. Um, so yeah, I don't think that we go back. I think a lot of people are going to want to go back because it's, it's hard to sell your beer in, can format only and then once if we if and when we have a vaccine life goes back a little bit more to normal you're not going to see people buying as many cans as they used to they're going to go out to drink more often is there a fear or a trepidation about growing too big because of the spread of canning i know we've talked to some breweries that have said we don't want to get too big and then lose money in the long run or or spread ourselves too thin I think when I, when I think about all the breweries now canning, it's great for people like me who live in the suburbs and it's not as easy to get to the brewery and I can just go find the beer that I want to drink and it's just on the shelf. Yeah. Um, but that means you're growing your market. People want you more and all of a sudden you're getting bigger. Is there any sort of trepidation about that or are you guys just kind of like, hey, if we get bigger, great, fantastic, bring it on? Uh, I mean, that's always a big, that's a big question because like yeah, opening a, a business as capital intensive as a brewery is like, taking a really big risk and, you know, putting all your money on one, on one roulette. And then every time you expand, you're taking on more debt and you got to assume that it's going to work. So it feels kind of like you're just doubling down on every bet, doubling down on every bet. Um, I don't, I don't feel uncomfortable with it, with where we're going, but we're not that big. We're adding like three tanks. We're not opening like a production facility somewhere else yet. 
I would love oh. to do it. Oh. But, yeah. Breaking just, news. Just slide that in there. <laughs> Breaking news. Heard it here We're going to tell everybody now. <laughs> you want to buy a beer? <laughs> uh, let's switch to a little bit of, uh, I mean, if if the term used correctly is less arrogant sounding, but let's let's switch to a little bit of your legacy. Um, you have worked with um, some phenomenal people at some phenomenal breweries, and I just kind of want to lightly touch on some of that. We we over the course of now two plus years doing this podcast, we have seen a lot of shifts in our own palates from things like mostly me hoppy beers and mostly dark rich stouts for Mike to kind of meeting a little more in the middle, being a little more versatile, and then definitely kind of a little more lager focused these days on stuff. I think we've both also transitioned a little bit into what we used to like ourselves. Like I've gotten really into West Coast IPAs, and you not so much into stouts, but you're starting to kind of experiment. Starting a little to bit come around too. a little bit. We've changed a lot. Yes, nice. but uh, everybody grows, guys. Yes, it's okay. But uh, you <laughs> know, is this, this is, is scary. This is an educational podcast. Let's not forget that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, we try. But one of our one of our favorites that we mention and relate to and and have beers from time to time is Chuckanut. Um, can give us a little bit. You don't have to go too deep into it, but give us a little bit of your time at Chuckanut and why they are considered to be one of the premier breweries on the West Coast, at least in my mind. Yeah. When it comes to lagers, I mean, somebody in California might not know who Chuckanut is, but they should. Yeah, I think most beer people know. I think it'd be great if they sent their beer down to California. I think they'd do really well. But as long as they're not doing it, we will be sending our beer to California. <laughs> and uh, uh, you, uh, I used to yeah. work at Chuckanut. Yeah. If you like their beer, yeah. buy mine. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank no. you for coming. So I went to I I was a plumber and a home brewer in Seattle for like ten years, and was really into the you know craft beer at the time between two thousand three and two thousand eight, and home brewing like two days a week, and just kind of pawning it off to my friends or putting it in bottles and giving it away or drinking too much of it. Honestly, <laughs> um, it is your beer; you can do that. Yeah. So I I experimented with like Belgian beers and and German beers. Those were like a lot of what I liked, mainly because I could buy IPA. Mm. And when Will Camper opened Chuckanut. All of a sudden, it was like, holy crap, there's somebody that's making really great lager in our state. So I put myself through brewing school, which was a Siebel program, in, in and it's called the World Brewing Academy. So it's the oldest brewing school in the U.S., Siebel in Chicago, and then also a brewing school in Munich. So I did that, and during that whole time, I was sending my resume and calling uh, Will Kemper up at Chuckanut, being like, you got to hire me, got to hire me, Al. It's the only place I want to work. And uh, it took about... A year, but he did it. <laughs> a year of pestering. And um, I still consider myself a Will Kemper brewer. He, he started Thomas Kemper Brewing yeah. in Polsbo back in like 84, 88. I don't even know. Um, but he is into, he has always been a champion of light lager beers, Hellas, Pilsner, um, and then like, like Kolsch as well. Um, stuff like that. His Dunkel has always been amazing. They've gotten so many gold medals for the Dunkel. I think we got a World Beer Cup gold medal when I worked there in like the first couple months I worked there. So it was really fun. But yeah, I think that what sets him apart is Will's approach has always been let's take a big brewing approach and apply it to small brewing. And that's everything that I've been doing at Wayfinder as well is what what are they doing in a big brewery that makes small brewing? What, what quality aspects can we add? Where Because when it comes to lager brewing, it's all about process. It's mm. not... It's not really an ingredient-driven product like um, like those imperial stouts mm. that you like that have vanilla and cocoa nibs and all that. Kind of, those are all things that I'm not saying they're masking the flavor, but you you can your focus is more on that than it is on the process. When you're only making something with one or two ingredients, Pilsner malt and you know Hertzberger hops, traditional thing. style. Yeah, you don't you really to make it elevated. You really have to focus on on process, and that's something that Will's always done. So. Oh, man, my brain is just like, right. why don't I live in Bellingham, Washington? <laughs> you know? Bellingham's cool. <clears throat> well, thank God we get their package stuff down here. I know. I got their Fest beer in a bottle at Market of Choice and two I weeks ago, and I was like... And I haven't got it yet. It's because I got I grabbed a can of the Wayfinder Fest and was like, I need to go get a four-pack and just stop looking at other Fest beers. <laughs> this Fest is based on that Fest. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, we started brewing that beer. I think we'll, the first time we brewed it was when, I, when me and... A guy named Brian, we're both brewing there. Mm. And uh, they've changed it a lot. I mean, these are not the same beers at all. But that beer back in 2011, 
I remember what I loved about it and it inspired me to do this beer. So now you compete in a market with uh, a person you formerly worked with. Walk me through uh, your life with Josh Freem. Uh, the most anal retentive ski bum I've ever met in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Josh is great. Um, we've kept in friends. I think that he, uh, he has a tight grip on his employees and everybody around him. He's a very intense individual. I don't know if you've met him. And, um, I feel like I have this cool thing where I can totally cut him down sometimes and tell him exactly how I feel. You guys feel. are just old yeah. friends that are honest with each other. Yeah. doesn't matter where you've landed in this beer world. You can just be straightforward. Mm-hmm. So Josh was working at Chuck and Nut when uh, I got hired. Mm-hmm. So I got hired kind of do Josh's job, but I had no experience. So it was kind of like, well, Will's going to also do a lot of this too, but <laughs> here you go, kid. Like, do this thing. Give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. And so I had a week of training and brewing with Josh, and it was a super fun time. But yeah, he's a. I remember he, he taught me a lot of the very basics of, you know, if you, the, at Friday afternoon when you want to get out and go to the bars and stuff like that, you know, we're, we're squeegeeing the floor, we're putting everything away, we're cleaning things that a lot of other brewers are not doing that. You know, it's, it's a, the process is also a, like a Zen meditation, you know, like the making the work environment clean, organized means that the beer will be clean, organized, stuff like that. And um, he really taught that to me too. That's cool. The attention to detail, very the little things that separate you from everyone. Because I've always said that. It's something something I learned with my time, especially down in Milwaukee with the Breakside Kids, was how diligent Ben is with that crew to make sure that, yeah, you got a, a clean brewery is clean beer. Well, I, I remember when we went to Freem and we did the little brewery tour with Justin who, mm-hmm. who showed us around in the back there. And we were they were talking to some of the people that were back there and they were just rinsing off kegs and they were like yeah man i love this this makes me so relaxed like it was like the simplest task of just cleaning mm-hmm. and they were like it's great <clears throat> well it can be glorified janitor at times right but hearing but hearing you say that about how josh freem just runs his breweries it's like that makes sense you find people who want to do that kind of work because it is kind of like that yeah. meditation for and them if you find somebody that doesn't want that and they start working they find out real quick if if they want to do it or not you know, I've heard the like, oh yeah, brewing is pretty much I'm a glorified janitor. I've heard that so many times, and, I've and never, I mean that as a compliment. Totally, but like I've never thought of it that way because yeah. I think of it as like, you know, if you're if you're in like, you know, what is the? the I'm not home? a glorified housekeeper because I keep my house clean. No, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just pride. It's just pride. Well, it's 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 more than that. It's kind of like kaizen or something. What is the Japanese thing where they like rake the stones perfectly? Oh, oh god. Oh yes. Um, I don't know the name for it, but mm. I kind of think of brewing as kind of like that. Okay. It's like I'm just putting everything in its right place, and I have a sense of of um, well being because everything it doesn't you know everything's clean and organized and everything comes out right. It's just, it, it's just really great. Feel. It's like, it's, you're creating um, organization in a chaotic world. It feels good. So before we finish the beer, because I know both Kevin and I have a little bit left, you've got a little bit more. Let's I'm talk about, it. let's talk about your fest beer. Um, since it's your beer, I'll let you start. What flavors do you love in this beer and how does it differ from the Rubens we just had? And I mean, hell, even the block 15, even though that was a slightly different style to you, to me, I, one of the things that I, I feel like a lot of people can sometimes are, are, are a little taken aback or maybe even critical of Wayfinder is that our beers come across pretty hoppy. Even this beer, it tastes like hops. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of beer enthusiasts, when they drink German beer, they're drinking imported German beer. And what really blew my mind studying over there and drinking not just German beer, but Belgian beer too, is how hoppy some of them are. Like Westmall Triple is like 35 BUs is what it tastes like. It's hoppy. It is bitter. But by the time we get it, it's gone. Right. You know? They've dropped off. It's dropped off. And if you <clears> look <throat> at if you look at style guidelines that are written over there and you drink them over there, you're like, wow, this actually does have a hop a bitterness presence that I just don't see in the American interpretations because I feel like we're basing it on something you know, basing on something that's a couple months old. Um so I think that, that that is probably one of the bigger things that um, people aren't used to. And then our beer, although it has like a sweetness to it, physically, it's really dry. This beer does finish at like 80 to 81% apparent degree of fermentation, which is quite a lot for a multi beer. Um, 77 is more of a multi, multi beer, 78 maybe. 
Um, so 4% makes that much of a difference? Yes. Hmm. Um, like our party time Pilsner is like 85 to 86%. It's incredibly dry, but people taste it and like, oh, it tastes kind of sweet. Well, some of that sweetness you get from the alcohol. From um, It's just a perceived sweetness. Mm-hmm. And it, it's taken me a long time because a lot of like homebrew guidelines that I read when I started getting into beer, that that final gravity, that where the beer ends up, is so much higher than the reality of it. Um, and that's just my opinion, man. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, like, my friend Brian, who worked with me at Chuckanut and then worked for Josh Freem, and now he's working up at Structures. He's back in Bellingham. Mm. Um, he would get commercial examples of beers, and, like, whether it's Fru Kolsch or, you know, um, Weinenstefan Pilsner or something like that, they're like, okay, well, let's just run it through the lab and see where it started and see where it ended and see how many bitterness units are in it. So, like, sure, everyone says it's this, but let's go see what it actually is, mm. you know, and that that's a little bit more telling of what those beers are. I find it interesting that you, I find it interesting that, you know, when you were talking about any 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 critical reception being that it's too hoppy, but do you feel that in the Northwest, it's almost, this is kind of silly to ask, but that it's almost like our due diligence to make things a little hoppier? I've, Don't you feel like yes. the clientele wants that? <laughs> like it fits the palates. It's it's both for me. Like I, I people like our our Czech Pilsner. A lot of people will like add on tapped reviews, which I know I shouldn't be, ever be reading, but I do it all the time. Uh, <laughs> we we're did the that, same way. We did that with the we're beer like, we made we're with like, Barrelick like, too. I hate beer advocate, at least the rating, and yeah. I hate untapped. But what's okay? Untapped? What are they saying? What are they saying? Oh, oh, Judy, God, she doesn't know anything. You know. Um, <laughs> she gave it a two, but didn't leave any notes. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, um, I think I, I, when I see people's review of the check, it's too bitter. People are like, this is really bitter for the style. But it's 35 BUs. It's like right smack dab in the middle. Yeah, right where it's I supposed think, to be. I think on the – it was – yeah, I kind of want it more like 37 to 40. I want it on the high end of the style. A little more. But I think that people sometimes don't – I mean, there's, there's bitterness actually measured. There's perceived, perceived. And then there's, you know, mathematically what you got. Uh-huh. And those are three different things. But so, that could that could taper back to what you were saying. Like if you're used to drinking Pilsner Urkel yeah. from Safeway, yeah. How old is that Pilsner Urkel? Yeah. And when you when you're drinking Wayfinder, I guarantee you it's going to be way more fresh. <laughs> yes. Know? Like if you're comparing apples to apples, our beer will come across as far more bitter. But if you were to if you were literally to take that beer and put it in a suitcase and fly to Czech Republic and drink it next to them, ours would taste less bitter. Interesting. I think. Interesting. One of the, okay, so there's this festival called Pills in Love, and uh, um, it started in Italy, and it's where, like, the Italian Pilsner thing kind of came from. Um, the first stateside one was done at Oxbow in Maine, and then the second one was down in California at Firestone, which we got invited to, which was really cool, and then the third one was supposed to be this summer at Oxbow again. But... When I was at the California one, everyone was telling me about Suarez, which is out of uh, Sleepy Hollow, just upstate New York, right? The messenger and, gave me a couple cans of Suarez. Yeah, oh, really? Palantine mm-hmm. Pills and how amazing it is. So I, I was so excited. Like, I don't get excited for beer fest anymore, but there's this like festival that was just Pilsner, and I was ecstatic. jacked. <laughs> I was so jacked. I was, like, literally shaking everyone's hands. I was collecting <laughs> stickers. I was writing notes. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I was so exciting. And I had the Suarez, and I was just like, this isn't what everyone told me it was going to be. And I was like kind of bummed out. And if I think it's Dan Suarez is listening, I'm sorry, but there was another Pilsner festival in Charlotte, North Carolina last summer that I attended and we brought our party time and our party time tasted like crap. By the time I got over there, uh, it didn't taste like crap. It was just muted. It was yeah. just kind of, yeah. Well, it was like, you could tell that so. the transfer Beat it up a little bit. Yeah, you can't take it over the Colorado Rockies, the Cascades, and the Appalachians. I don't know if they're at that point yet, but um, where I don't know where Charlotte is to be perfectly honest. But <laughs> I think it did cross the Appalachians. Did yeah. it? Okay, I think so. so. Three mountain ranges, <laughs> and not have some damage. But the Suarez was the best beer there, mm. and I was just like, oh, I get it, I get it. Yep. Suarez just couldn't come from Maine to California, to Buellton, California, or not Buellton. It was in Marina del Rey. And not get beat up on the way. And the same thing is true with Pilsner or Keller or any of these things. Yeah. So, like, maybe this is drink local, everybody, you know? Like, drink the beer from your uh, local breweries if you want really fresh beer. And check dates. 
Please check the Always date. check dates. Yeah. Um, that being said, there are plenty of breweries that will have a two-month-old date that I think are still fantastic products. And I yeah. don't think that you can always just dam- – <clears> like <throat> I've had beers that have been packaged in the middle of June and are still tasting phenomenal. So All right. I would not be afraid of it. it. A lot of it has to do with how good the brewer is at getting it in the can. That's well, what I always say. Just trust your brewery. So I, I had two questions. One of them was a follow-up. So the interesting thing to me – about BUs is that when I first moved here, every menu had ABV and IBU. Yeah. Every menu. Yeah. And I wasn't a guy who liked hops that much when I first moved here. I was big into porters and stouts and malts. And so I would always use that to judge. I don't see IBUs on any menu anymore or yeah, even on great? cans. Like nobody <laughs> yeah, talks to it's them. so awesome. So like, why did that change? Why did, why did the brewers decide, you know what? You don't need to know how bitter this it's, is. It's be. back to, and I'll let you elaborate on this too, but as a front of house person, I'm with you. I am so glad. We I when I when I got to Milwaukee, every beer had the IBUs on it and I stripped it because I was tired of it. It's yeah. just perceived bitterness is what people are looking for. People want to know how much the bitterness they're going to expect and the number is more of a mathematical equation than an actual flavor profile in yeah. my opinion. Well, it, or it's measured. Like yes, peop, like our Hellas, some people consider quite hoppy. It's seventeen when I had it measured. Mm-hmm. Like consistently, it's not very hoppy, you know, and not very bitter. But it is perceived hoppy because it's so dry, because it's so fresh, because um, hopefully I'm doing my job right. I don't know. Um, I, I, I think to say it, that you are. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with there's a lot of. I'm just going to be a little generational here, but I think that there's a lot of. You know, I think that was definitely more of the boomer guys that really wanted to push that. You know, you have the to hop kind of, wars of the late 2000s. The hop wars, but also the, um, when you think about it, like the boomer generation that really created craft beer, um, they had to do all of the explanation for us. And we're just, now we can, now we can go and not explain things. And the consumers either get it or they feel like they have to go find out, which is great in the internet age because mm-hmm. then, then they're going to go find our brand a little bit more. But we're at a luxury to do that. Back in the mid-90s, early 2000s, you pretty much had, you know, you needed to write a page on what Porter was because nobody even knew what the word meant. Mm. You know, this is where it came from. This is what it means. This is the kind of malts in it. This is how many BUs it is. This is, is it what a lager? Is it is. Ale? Yeah. So I feel like a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're just there as craft brewers now that we don't have to. My second question was, and it was kind of based on the earlier conversation. So when you guys started Wayfinder, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, it felt like that was either right at the beginning or even slightly before people here were really diving into making lagers and and German-inspired beers or Belgian-inspired beers. Was that a calculated choice because it was your interest as, as a brewer and going into a market that was very IPA-heavy and saying, we're going to do it different? and blow the doors off of you with how quality our beer is and make a change? Or was it just kind of like, uh, this is what we're going to make, and if it works, it works? Um, it was always calculated, but, we, I mean, we weren't the first ones doing lager beers here. I would say that, like, the ones that really were the first ones to the punch were Occidental yep. in, in <clears throat> Heater Allen in Oregon, really putting really high-quality lager beers on the those table. Breweries. It just feels I love like both of them. At least to me, and again, I came into this not as a brewery <clears throat> guy, just as a fan of craft beer. When you guys at Wayfinder came on the scene, it was like, and we're off. Yeah. It was like, yeah, Occidental Heater Allen existed and the beers were good, but it was like Wayfinder came in and it was like, everyone's making these now. Yeah. And so I, I, it's it's not like that you were the pioneers, but it felt like it to me as a consumer that it was like, woo, yeah. Wayfinder's doing it. Well, it was good timing for one thing. I, I think that we were, I've been saying this for years. I'm like, this is going to be the year of the lager. This is going to be the year of lager. And it never really was. <laughs> it really has been that... I thought when I got in the industry 10 years ago that the IBU war, we were at the tail end of the IBU mm-hmm. wars, how strong you could make a beer, how sour could you make a beer, how hoppy could you make a beer. And on the other end of it, and the big brewers were trying to make, how how light can you possibly make a beer? How little calories, how little carbs? If you'll, like, does it even does it even float out of the bottle? You know, like, <laughs> it's like one of those situations. But I always felt like the consumers were going to say, I'm so sick of this. Like, can I just have a beer now? Yeah. You know, can I just have something? It's not middle of the road, but can I have a high quality product? You know, that um, I'm willing to pay for it. I just want to not get my palate ripped off every time. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not as extreme. It's back to that famous word yeah. balance. Yeah. Drinkability has yeah. been a big focus of ours, but 
when um, Charlie, Matt, and Rodney, the three partners who started Wayfinder, when they did this, um, I really wanted to open a lager-style brewery in Seattle when I was living up there with a friend, but he turned me down. Um, mainly because he wanted to make it more. I, I, I pitched him this at Prost um, in Greenwood. I was just like, hey, like, let's make German-style beers, but here's the thing. No lederhosen. No no pretzels. No shtick. No shtick. No, no keg tossing. No all of this stuff. No oompa music. And he's like, but I want to do all that. And I'm like, well, I, it just... It's super appropriative if it weren't a white culture. Like, <laughs> like it's just kind of gross, right? But I think that so I always wanted to do that, and I also wanted to do more hop focused loggers, and then also IPAs. As an as an like, it's okay. We we're American brewery. We can do this and still identify ourselves as an American brewery without having to have the lederhosen all the time. Mm-hmm. We can celebrate the German heritage of our brand sure. or the or the beers that we're making. Um, and so. Charlie, Matt, and Rodney, that's also what they wanted to do. Wanted to make it, and I feel like that's part of why Wayfinder kind of blew up, is that we were making those beers okay for everyone, you know? If you walk into Wayfinder, it does, it just feels like a hip modern place, yeah. and people, everybody's welcome. We have good wine on the menu. We have great cocktails. We have good food. I'm good friends good with music. your bar manager. Yeah. Yeah, Joris is <laughs> yeah. my guy. Sweet. Yeah. Joris doing a great job. Yeah. I love... I, you've done it. I mean, you guys, you guys have definitely made, you guys have helped set a standard in this city. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people look at over there, what you're doing and are kind of like, okay, if you're going to open something, you know, I think you got to find what works and do it well. I also think you, you pushed a lot of the OG breweries that are still in existence to push those styles a little bit more for themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about like, the Deschutes or the Pelicans or the ones that have been around for a long time, last few years on their social media pages, what are they what are they starting to promote? Yeah. Not their beer. core brands in the same way. They're making, you know, one off beers small that are batch. that are small batch and they're lagers and they're German style and they're I mean, they're kind of following suit. Yeah. So bravo for that. Because I, I feel know. like you guys really did help push that. Yeah, it's well, like thanks. cool to drink lagers. Yeah, it's cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's never been cool. If I were, we're finally cool, man. Yeah, it's great. Now, now you're like, wait, what do we do? Wait, no shit. We're looking at me. What do we do? do we mainstream. Do? Uh, I can't go mainstream, but mainstream will go me. Yeah. That's what you got. I guess I'll do a smoked Bach. Is everyone going to like that? <laughs> Sold out. Sold out. Now <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny because it's like we were just talking about um, how we just made Funeral Bach for the second time and we didn't change anything about it. We made it exactly like we did last year and we released it at the same time as last year. And that's like such a seasonal corporate brewery thing to do. It's like, well, our Kolsch comes out in the summer yeah. and our uh, our pumpkin ale comes out in the fall. Yeah. And, you know, like, I like your right corporate now, brewery voice. <laughs> that's my corporate you voice. Have like a little your, when does your here. Shandy come out? Uh, oh, shandy. Or your Rattler? Oh, always in July. <laughs> right around 4th of July. Go America. The... Um, it's funny because, like, right now with, like, cool, like, hip breweries, they're always having to come out with the new coolest thing. Like, what is the juice box this or the milkshake and then the newest hops for that and the newest procedure for this? And I'm just like, well, how about instead of doing a different thing every – why don't we just do the same thing a bunch? <laughs> <laughs> like, I know it sounds kind of weird, but, like, what if we do that? And Call it's, me crazy. It's, 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 it's working. So, like, as long as, it keep, as long as everybody keeps buying it, I'm happy. I think there's two different consumers. There are some consumers who go for that brewery that's only putting out the new, newest thing only. Yeah. And it's actually, I think, for a lot of those people, less about the beer and more just about, like, I get to drink this style, and it's this is really popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's everyone else who's just like, yeah, I just want to have good beer, please. Yeah. So I've been kind of secretly from a distance watching the collectibles. Yeah. Because I'm curious. Watching, learning. I'm really interested. Scanning. They're just people that are completely opposite than me. Remember when you were a kid and you got, like, Spawn number one magazine, you know, the yeah. comic? and. And you didn't read it. You stuck it in there, and you posted on your wall. And you're like, "Oh, don't ever look at that." No. It's like, well, what's the point of that? I mean, you know, collecting yeah. comic book guys yeah. or something, yeah. or you know, anybody who collects like action figures. It's like the point is to take the action figure. I ripped that it. box open and Rip started playing open. with it. Threw it downstairs. Yeah. You know, I yeah. remember I had a. I remember I was gifted a uh, an original C three PO. Yeah. No, it's not my C three PO. It's uh my uh, Michelangelo from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, got it. Phew. I was like, wow, you are gifted a Michelangelo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, was, I had a Michelangelo Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. 
and I was playing with him, and I, you know, he like took one for the team or something, and yeah. fell down the stairs, and his arm broke at the elbow. Yeah, it didn't like pop out of its socket where he could put it back in. It broke. Yeah, and I was devastated. Yeah, but but you moved I, on I with, with life. With you didn't yeah. just stick yeah. it in a cellar and pretend like you were never going to yeah. open yep. it. Yep. And, and now Michelangelo just had a broken arm. That was part of the story. Yeah. 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 That's how it was. He overcame. All right. Let's get into beer of the week next. Okay. What is the beer of the week? Uh, the beer of the week is an unfiltered pilsner called Mary from Hill Farmstead. Okay. I thought it was appropriate yeah, as nice. you, uh, okay. I imagine are a fan as you have poured their beers frequently at your pub. All right. Well, mm-hmm. let's do that next. One more segment here. Beers and us, Mike Lynch, Patrick Harris, and Kevin Daly. Beer of the week time here on beers and us with Mike Lynch and Patrick Harris. Ooh, that had a great had a pop great today. Pop. I like that. That was All a good right. one. It's like it's my fourth beer I've opened today. And it's the best pop we got. <laughs> so you said this is... Uh, we are drinking Hill Farmstead. Hill Farmstead. They're Mary, unfiltered German-style Pilsner. And Hill Farmstead is Vermont? Greensboro, Vermont, okay. given to me by The Messenger. I wonder why Vermont became so big in the craft beer scene. I mean, growing up in the, in the Northeast or in the Mid-Atlantic, whatever, I mean, when I was growing up, Nobody cared about Vermont. What was Vermont but maple syrup? And now it's like craft beer. I don't understand how they just were like, hey, we're here now. We're just going to have a bunch of breweries that are, that are good. Yeah, that's an, or at least popular. That's an interesting thing for you um, being an East Coaster because I guess I never really thought about Vermont for any reason other than. Yeah, why would you? Like Lake Placid is there and, yeah. and my parents have well, been Lake there. Lake Placid's in New York. Oh, that's so. right. Um, but my parents went to Vermont you and. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but my parents did a trip to Vermont, just the two of them, when I was younger, and they were like, "It's so beautiful. I love it so much." Yeah, that's and all like I ever thought. It's a tiny of it. little sliver of a state that nobody cares mm-hmm. about. <laughs> I feel like it's like the most Portland East Coast state. I guess really, I, I at least from what I've heard and stuff, it seems like there's a lot of like um, people wearing country clothes, starting organic farms out there, and mm. you know. Composting and God, well, not that anything's wrong with it. I'm no, totally no. down with it. It's just, it just. I'm just naming the stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very Eugene, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> um, all right, so let's drink the beer. I am. Uh, I'm curious to see what kind of similarities there are in any of the fest beers we had, or if it's going to be wildly different because it's a German style, but it's a different. Well, beer. this is a pilsner. I know, but it's a. It's. I'm in. I guess I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm just saying. I'm curious if we're going to see if I'm going to see any similarities in the way it feels mouthfeel wise or anything just because it's a German style, mm. even though it's a different type of beer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Maybe I'm an idiot. Well, but. I love that. It's unfiltered. <laughs> Looks pretty clear to me. I mean, it's got a little haze to it. That's hazy, but I can see through it. Well, that is very different. <laughs> that is Excuse very me. different than the beer. We and you guys, you guys have poured <laughs> Hill farmstead. Do you still yeah. continue to, or is that, was that an early thing? And I'm just not remembering correctly. Uh, we, well, the restaurant not being open, we're not pouring a lot of guests. Oh, right, beer, right, right. But, um, yeah, like we we tried to pour a lot of things that you know breweries that we thought were cool and that we liked their beer and it's I feel like I was doing a lot of the guest beer thing at Wayfinder like buying mm-hmm. and um, I'd put on stuff because I wanted my beer to sell so I'd put on stuff that maybe people wouldn't buy <laughs> regardless I'd be like well this is a cool beer so I don't I don't if it sits there for a couple of weeks I don't really care yeah I'll you know, drink it I'll drink it or you know our staff will understand a little bit more about beer and so that was kind of the focus there. Mm. Um, I feel like Portland, especially in the beer nerd scene, has been so long, very provincial, very, you know, and for good reason, you know, to support local beer and stuff like this. I feel like sometimes people take it a little bit too far and they don't understand that there is quality stuff outside of, you know, Oregon (laughs) or outside of the Portland metro area. I think we're we're starting to get it, though. I mean, we, we talked we talked to Robbie Rhoda what six months ago at this yeah, you point know Robbie at day one at uh-huh. day one yeah. and you know he's talking about getting all these breweries from outside of Oregon into Oregon so that we can kind of expand the knowledge base as consumers but I'm noticing a lot more out-of-state beers coming in and frankly being solid yeah so it's been kind of cool to to experience that yeah I mean I wouldn't be the the Beachwood fan that I am without yeah. that yeah you know I sure. love that brewery I love the hop stuff they do you know I'd love to taste more things I think the the scary part of the out of state breweries coming in is it's I've, I'm afraid most of the stuff we see is all trend stuff, hazy yeah. double IPAs that I have yeah. no interest in drinking and they might be great they might be terrible I don't know because they're not drinkable to me yeah 
I think that the interesting thing is like, well, I like I said in the earlier segment where, you know, supporting something local because it's fresher, it tastes better, is so important. I think that the the rut you can get stuck into is everything's better if it's local, therefore I never have to expand mm. my palate or expand who I am. I think that's something both of us have struggled with at times mm-hmm. where it's like, ah, it's out of state, I'm not going to have it. Like yeah. I'm going to drink Oregon beer. I think when I first moved here, I was very stuck in that because I remember I went to Thirsty Lion and they would always mark on their menus their little Oregon the 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 shape of the state was next to all the local beer, so I would only ever get local beer. And then from doing this podcast, we would do, have stuff from out of state, and I was like, "Wait, this is really good." It was Beachwood was the first one mm-hmm. that like really blew me away. We had the uh, Amalgamator, and I was like, uh, "This is great." I know I've I've always been so <clears throat> not always I've definitely come around thanks to you, Michael. Huh. Um, I've hey. come around to that because it's like, why am I going to take a risk on this Amalgamator four pack? I'm just going to go buy a six pack of free my PA. Right. You know, and it's like so easy to get stuck in that, you know, like with Chuck a nut people say it's cool, but I'll just go get some heater Allen, yeah. you know, and then I've had some real big hits and it's like, I don't want to stop. I I would say that for, for me, like if I, I know that the heater Allen in your in situation is going to be fresher mm. than even the Chuck a nut. And I might buy that most of the time. And when I see chucking it up there, I might buy that some of the time. Mm. That way I'm focusing more on local stuff. But, you know, I also think that, you know, buy the beer that you like the most with your money. I mean, that's just yeah. the market that we live in. So what about the beer we're drinking right now? I kind of, it's kind of shocked me in the flavor profile immediately on, on my first sip. I wasn't expecting it to be so, I feel like I want to say the word is fruity. Like it's, that's not the right word, but it was very bright right off the top. Maybe that's the more correct word to use. I took the sip and I was expecting it to kind of be dry and maybe a little just like easy drinking, good mouthfeel, and it just kind of popped me right off the top. I'm getting hops and bitterness. Is yep. that the, am I right, fruity? Is that right? Yeah, I get right. some. I get some fruity character. That's one thing I always really love about hoppy pilsners is I tend to get some of that that fruit character from the hops. I get a them. lot of paper. Um, it smells a lot like a library book. Um, <laughs> not like yeah. It actually, kind of in a negative way. Um, is it fooder aged or fooder fermented? Does it say on the bottom there? Uh, oh, look. I don't know much about this brewery. This I was a gift to me. These guys so this do... has traveled. Keep that in mind as well. It was canned on September 2nd. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I so I know that Hill Farmstead does a lot of um, fooder aged and stuff like that. So it's, they actually literally have a big wooden barrel that you would age stuff like Saison in. Right. It does not they're doing that with loggers? They're doing that with loggers, and that's becoming kind of a hype thing. Interesting, but personally, I don't like the the flavor profile of any of them. Um, mainly what? because, like in in saison, you're trying to actually introduce subtle oxygen over time to allow the Brettanomyces, if if bread is there, or other things to um, to kind of balance flavor. Because you're trying to actually create something that is a little bit too flavorful at the beginning, and then let it age in the fooder, and then it becomes something more well rounded. With lager beer, it's kind of I don't know. Philosophy-wise, it doesn't make a lot of sense in my That's mind. what I was wondering. Like, why... It seems like a waste of space. It seems like a waste of use for a fooder. Or is it just them experimenting with that as an idea? It'd be better to ask Sean about it. <laughs> Sean Hill. Um, but I do know of a lot of breweries that are doing this. I've yet to find one that has really blown my mind. I know Threes out of New York does a lot of it. Um I think Burial has uh, played around with it. I know Holy Mountain's played around with it. Modern Times has played around with it. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. For yeah, me, I, w- I, I wouldn't yeah. think using a fooder at all for this style of beer. Yeah. There's just, a, it doesn't make any sense. I've no. heard of some people say, well, Pilsner Kell ferments in oak barrels and ages in oak barrels, but those are pitch-lined. They're trying to minimize the oxygen. So I, I don't know. Huh. From a technical standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I get this oxidative character that I don't find pleasant, but that's also me tearing the beer apart. How did, that's all right. That's, that's all right. okay. We all, we always say like, if you, we do laugh, we are educational. We do not just, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you're it, critical, tell us why yeah, it's not all sunshine and kittens here. You know, it is, it is, we, we have had stuff that we don't care for. And we just always say, if you don't like something, you have to say why. So what is, so one thing that I've been trying to learn through this podcast is trying to get my palate to find those off flavors in beers because I started off and I, 
I didn't know what I was drinking really. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is what this IPA tastes like. And it's like, Patrick's like, this tastes like cardboard. So it's oxidized or why this tastes like buttered popcorn. Oh, that's diacetyl, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, I'm, I'm trying to find those flavors. What does the oxidization in this taste like to you? It's that, an aroma. It's the aroma? Yeah. It's I mean, I smell the hops as well. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of layering on top, but um, it, to me, like, have you ever opened up an old library book and it has that very distinctive smell? Of course. Yeah. There's a chemical called trans all that that is literally what it is. And that is from oxygen, you know, coming in contact with um, aging carbonyls or something like that. Do you think it, it in school once? I know it's probably tough to decipher, but if you had an educated guess, do you think this beer was flawed from the get go? Or do you think this beer is flawed from its transportation? Uh, the question is, is that a flaw? You know, ah. I think that this is intentional. Right. And I'm just saying I don't really, really? like it. It's your palate. I that... think it's the fooder aging that he's doing there is to introducing subtle oxidation over time. That is it's how you how you produce a lot of the Saisons the way he does. And the Saisons taste f- phenomenal because of it. Mm-hmm. I would argue that I don't like that character in lager. So that's just maybe that's just me. Interesting. Well, it's good. I mean, that's kind of like what we try to work on sometimes. It's like yeah. our palates are all different. Yeah. Our expectations for beer is all different. So, you know, I actually think this is good. Like, I, I enjoy it because it, it gives me that brightness off the top. Um, I'm not noticing the oxidization for myself, but I'm also not as much of a uh, of a refined palate as, as Kevin here. So, I mean, I'm not going to. There's also a little green apple aroma to it. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very nice attempt. It's a great beer. I really <laughs> prefer his saisons and uh, those kind of beers. All right. Well, that's it. Beer of the week. It is the Mary Unfiltered Pilsner from Hill, Hill Farmstead. Farmstead. Uh, in Vermont, Greensboro, Vermont, it says on the side of the can. So we've had three fast beers, or two fast beers, one Oktoberfest slash Marzen slash fast beer, and uh, one unfiltered Pilsner. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. This was great. Thanks for I having really us. Enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you for coming in, and uh, we'll come say hi next time we can get out to with one. Yeah, please do. All right. Uh, next week, I don't think we really have a plan yet. Nope. Maybe we'll do another tasting room, huh? Ooh, a little, interactive. Uh, a little interactive tasting room. Ooh, that could be fun. So keep an eye out on our Instagram, instagram.com slash beers and us. We'll post a picture of the beers ahead of time so you can purchase them and drink them along with us. I don't have a job, so I can like figure this out real quick. You can like be a man. I can do it today. Man I can among do the people. It tomorrow. I could do it. We got time. Friday. We got time. Man, what you want a job for? <laughs> yeah. What do you want a job for? <laughs> um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, OmniRadio.com, TennedyTheFan.com. Subscribe, rate, review. It helps. Uh, Instagram.com slash beers on us. Mike Lynch 27 for me on Twitter. Patrick's at PDD085 on Instagram. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Whoa, nice catch. And we'll see you next week. Catorces. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.